Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. We are continuing a series on What Stops the Gospel? Now, that is a strange name, and here's why, or a strange title. Because in Matthew 28, 19, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is our mission, okay? We call that the Great Commission. You may have heard it referred to as that, you know, from time to time. And then in Matthew 16, he says, I tell you, that you are Peter. He's speaking to Peter here, but he's speaking to all of us. And he says, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. The gates of Hades or hell will not stop it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven where you may bind on earth. Whatever is bound on earth is bound in heaven and whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. So here we have the situation. Jesus says, I'm giving you this great commission to go and make disciples of all men throughout all the world. And now I'm giving you the power and the ability to do that. And I give you the keys of the kingdom. You're a solid rock. I'm going to build it on you. So what stops the gospel? If we have all of that at our disposal, when we become that solid rock, then what stops the gospel? And the answer is simply this. And that's why we're in this series that often it is us. We are the ones who prevent or stop the gospel. So we're going to take a few minutes and look at some of that today. We've been looking at it for the past couple of weeks. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the temple problems when it comes to stopping the gospel. We looked at the inner, we are a temple. And the problems that we house within here often stops and prevents the gospel from spreading. The other week, we talked about sometimes we have to take a risk. We had to get out of our comfort zone Because that, too, will prevent the gospel and the spreading of the good news. Because the gospel is just simply this, the good news. We have the good news, but yet it's being prevented from being expressed or shared. So today we're going to look at another aspect of what stops the spreading of the good news or the gospel. So if you want to stand with me, we're going to read from John chapter 4. John chapter 4, starting with verse 27, and just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. His disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? And my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a say in it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life 
so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Harvest problems. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you again for this opportunity to take your word and deliver it to your people. I thank you, Lord, for your presence that's been here already through the worship time, our singing songs of worship to you, and and you being present with us. Now we ask that the Holy Spirit would take this and combine it together. Quicken our hearts, challenge us so that we may be challenged as never before to see what is before us, your harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Harvest, in its true context and its true meaning, is not a time for us to sit back and relax and enjoy, but rather to be busy. Harvest time means getting involved. It's a time to work, not just a time to sit back and see what's going on. Now, Jesus had just had an amazing interaction with a woman at the well. We've heard the story. Maybe you've read it before. It's an amazing moment where Jesus interacts with a person who, by many accounts, is not somebody that he should be interacting with, according to the culture and the time and the people that he was a part of. He's speaking to a woman. That's not common in that culture. And she's a Samaritan, people that they don't associate with. And then he offers to her something called eternal life, something that's beyond her, uh, an experience that she will draw from a well that will never run dry. And all of that's not making sense to the disciples when they arrive. They see Jesus in this situation, and then he announces to them immediately following that there's something about a harvest. And their focus is on something totally different. They can't comprehend what he's talking about because their focus is in another direction. This is a huge announcement he's about to make to them, but they're missing the truth that Jesus is saying. And often in the church, we do the same thing. We become guilty of of not absorbing and grabbing the Jesus and the God moments that we have. He speaks to us, he shows us things, but we miss the God moment because we're caught up with the circumstances or the surface things sometimes. So today, while we're looking at this passage, I want to bring your attention to things that maybe we are missing too, just like the disciples were missing. So right off the bat, from the very beginning, I want you to know that you can't reap what you don't recognize. Number one, you can't reap what you don't recognize. In verse 35, Jesus is begging for the attention of the disciples, and he says, Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. It's here. It's time. The look on the disciples' face is probably something like, Jesus, could you just focus on what's right here, and that's the eating part? I mean, it's time to eat. And he's trying to get their attention by saying, no, look, wait. It's it's the harvest. Imagine at this point, the disciples were not even paying attention to him, to what he was saying, but yet they didn't want to totally ignore him. So they tried to pick up on something, he said, something about the field. So they look out and, yep, yep, you're right there. There's a field out there. Yep, there's, there's some crops. Imagine the conversation. We got Jesus and the disciples going back and forth, maybe. Jesus, the disciples say, yeah, Jesus, okay, we still have a few moments before it gets here, but I'm sure it'll be great when it does. Jesus, no, look, 
It's here. It will happen. This is it. The disciples, Jesus, we still have a few months. It's not even our harvest. This is Samaria. We aren't supposed to be here. Jesus again, doing both parts here. (laughs) No, you're missing it, he says. You're not getting it. They are ripe for harvest. And the disciples are probably getting desperate and thinking to themselves, why don't you just stick to the Messiah stuff? Let the farmers take care of the field. Who knows what this conversation and thoughts were going back and forth, racing through their heads. In this moment, the disciples' view was totally distorted because they were looking for something that wasn't there and wasn't theirs, is what they thought. But what they were missing was it was there and it was theirs. The harvest is there and the harvest is theirs. He was talking about people. He wasn't talking about crops or something coming out of the ground and sprouting up and growing. But he said, look beyond that. The harvest, the people. What they were missing was Jesus was not talking about crops. He was talking about real living people. You see, the problem is often our perspective. We're missing what's there. The harvest is not, the problem is not the the field, but it's the people. The harvest would not come in a few months, in a few moments. The harvest is now. That's why he said the harvest is here. It's ripe. It's ready. How often do we pray for God to send the harvest? You ever heard anybody pray that? Younger years, I'd hear people pray, and they were serious. They were sincere. It's okay. Oh, Lord, send the harvest. Send the harvest. He's not sending anything. It's already there. It's here. It's as if in the church we stand at the front doors, we hold them open, and we say, send the harvest. There are no buses out front with harvest on the side of it where people are just piling in. The world is there. The harvest is there. We're missing it. The problem is not with the harvest, it's with the workers. For the scripture tells us the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We're the ones that are holding back. The Jews were so blinded by this reality of their own culture that they would walk around the situation. They would avoid it. They were opposed to the people of Samaria. So we're not going even through that country. If we got to cross rivers, if we got to go a long way around, whatever we got to do, we're going around. We're not taking a shortcut because we just don't associate with those kind of people. They are different from us. Instead, Jesus walked right through the middle. He walked right through the middle of Samaria. He had an encounter with a lady and began to share with her something that was inside of him and what he could give to her. And what do we do? We say this, that's not even our country. It's not even our place. They are our enemy. That is our problem. Let me ask you the question, who have you been avoiding? You see, I have avoided people because I did not trust them. I admit I'm one to watch and pray. You know what that means? I'll watch them with one eye and I'll pray with the other. Lord, I, I see that person over there. I know exactly what you're talking about, Lord. (laughs) We're avoiding them. We're nervous about them. We're not comfortable with where we are. We're not comfortable with those people. So we're praying for them. But we're watching them too. 
We're trying to avoid them in any way we can. They're not like us. God love them. Send somebody, but they're not like us. I'm reminded of a story and a situation that happened to me. I had a good friend. We used to ride motorcycles together. He attended church here, love the Lord. Now he's riding with the king. But there was a time when he called me up one day and he said, hey, Larell, you want to go riding tomorrow? I said, sure, Robbie. He said, well, meet me down at so-and-so. So I met him down at the station. I was sitting there waiting on my motorcycle. And I hear these bikes coming in the distance. And I look up and there's Robbie and a couple other guys. That's cool. He waves. So I pull my kickstand up and take off and I join in with him. And we ride down the road and we're riding a while and we get down to the same place, we pull into a parking lot. There's about three or four more guys sitting around on their bikes. They crank up, he waves, they fall in with us. We truck on down the road. We got a, we got a little gang here together, man. A little club, man. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're riding along, and as we're growing, our numbers are growing. We're picking up guys here and there, and I'm going down the road, and all of a sudden, I look ahead of us, and I see over on the left a whole bunch of motorcycles parked over here. And there's this guy in the middle of the road, and he's waving like this, giving us directions. So I gladly smiled, rode right on in with our little group, you know. And as I get up in there, all these guys around, we start backing up. They tell us where to park, pointing over here. So I'm backing up, you know. I'm backing up into my spot. And right as I got into my spot, getting ready to put my kickstand down, I look over my shoulder, and right above me is this sign. That says bar. Cool. <laughs> and I realize I'm parking right next to the front door of this bar. Now I'm starting to feel a little different. See, we feel good and we feel calm and comfortable in here because this is the people we know. See, I feel comfortable with y'all. Y'all, y'all feel good with me? Somebody say amen. <laughs> See, we're comfortable with each other. We're used to each other. But here I am backing up in front of this bar and I realize, hey man, this is a different place for me. And here's the next thought that went through my mind. I'm in front of a bar, bunch of bikers, Here's the street, Main Street, right out there in front of me where all the traffic's going up and down. Somebody from a church is going to drive by and say, what is Laurel doing at the bar? What in the world's going on with him? And I realized all of a sudden that I was more concerned about what church people would think of me when they saw me at the bar versus what the other guys at the scene would think of me. As I get off the bike, I hear somebody holler my name, hey, Strickland. And I look over, and here comes this guy named George. I just knew him as George. I met him through Robbie at one of his businesses, you know, a couple of months prior to that. And I just knew him as George. Here comes George walking up, you know, and he's all glad to see me, waving, you know. He walks up, and, and he goes, hey, man. And I realize that on his jacket it says, vice president, road gliders. See, the guy waving us in was, on his jacket was prospect. Anybody know what that is? Some of you do. That means you're being initiated into a, into a motorcycle club. And here's vice president of one of the clubs there. And I just thought he was George. But now because I saw something on there, it changed my whole perspective of who he was. I was missing who he was. I thought he was George. And now I'm thinking, oh, no, no, he's the vice president of the motorcycle club. No, he is part of the harvest. My perspective was being messed up with all the other stuff and worried about what some of y'all might think of me when you saw me at the bar. Versus George just being glad to see me because I was hanging out with them. That's okay. I don't want to leave you hanging. I did not go in and have a couple of shots. (laughs) Some of y'all were worried. (laughs) 
I hope he gets to the punchline. <laughs> we had a good barbecue outside, <laughs> and I had some good fellowship with them. We hung out a while. But here's what happened out of that. I thought to myself, this is my opportunity because the harvest is all around me to let my light shine. Instead of worrying about what somebody might think of me, George didn't care what church I went to. He was just glad I was associating with him and his buddies and all the others that were there. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Don't worry about what others are going to say. Let your light shine because the harvest is all around us if we just won't miss it. So, I can't tell you that anybody got saved that day and gave their heart to the Lord and I led them in the sinner's prayer. It didn't happen. But I made an impression, hopefully, with them. And some months later, several months later, I get a call one morning, early in the morning. One of the owners of a bike shop down the street calls me and says, hey, Lonnie was killed last night in front of the shop on his motorcycle. Could you come down and talk to the rest of the guys in the shop? I said, sure, man, I'll be right there. So I go down to the shop. The guys are hurting, man. They're grieving. One of their best buddies that they worked with every day was, was now gone. So I begin to just share with them, just out of my heart, hey, man, I know you're hurting, but there's somebody else who cares about where you are. So I talked a few minutes and prayed with him. And after that was over, the owner said, hey, can, can you go with us to, to his wife's house? Sure. So I go over to their, her house and I try to share and comfort her, the family. And he says, hey, by the way, could you do the funeral? I said, sure. Every connection we make should open our eyes to the harvest that's there and available to us if we will operate and act on it. So a couple of days later, later, they pushed all the motorcycle in the shop back against the wall and made a big open area, and I stood there as I watched motorcycle club after motorcycle club after club come in through the doors. There was one Christian group that I knew because they were called Sons of Thunder, and uh, uh, I think they were kind of a Christian group. But the rest of them, there was a, the Road Gliders, uh, Thunder Guard. Some of you guys know them. Thunder Guard been old, one of the oldest mo- motorcycle clubs in Charleston. And about eight or ten others, and Hell's Angels came in. They were all there. Heaven's Angels, too, were there. <laughs> but, uh, but I'll never forget, I, I was standing there in that, in that moment before we started, and I was so nervous, but I wasn't scared of these guys. I knew I had a lot of protection around me. <laughs> but I was nervous because I said, Lord, give me the words and the opportunity. With this opportunity that's here, give me the words to share with them that somehow they'll know that there is a Jesus, there is a God, and he cares for them. The harvest was right there in front of me. I could not avoid it. I didn't need to walk around it, but I needed to walk right through the middle of it like Jesus did and recognize that there's an encounter that God will give you in the harvest if you open your eyes and see that it's there. Don't avoid them. Don't walk around them. Don't say, oh, well, God, you don't understand the neighbor you gave me. Yes, he does. You were the one that nine months ago were praying, oh God, give me this house. He puts you there and then you think, oh, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful house. I love this neighborhood. Nine months later passed and you can't stand the guy next to you. You want to build a 10-foot wall. I'm going to build me a 10-foot privacy fence. Well, it's just going to make it harder for you to get across the witness. (laughs) The harvest is here. The harvest is there. He's got a job for us to do. But how often do we run from that? 
We thought that they were our problem. They're not your problem. They're a place where you need to grow. The very place and the very thing you need, you think is a problem is where God wants us to grow stronger and grow through so that we can see the harvest that's there. You think you're stuck in your job because you forgot it was a harvest. You're not stuck there. You were planted there. He's placed you there to not just meet your financial needs so you can have a paycheck every week, but so that you can be a light in a dark place. See the harvest where you are. It's not a problem. It's a harvest. Recognize your harvest. So often we don't recognize it because we're distracted by looking in the wrong place or our attention and focus is on the wrong thing. So number two, you can't focus on the meal or you'll miss the mission. You can't focus just on the meal or you're going to miss the mission. Jesus was saving a woman's life and all they can think about is dinner. Verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? What drive through did they go through? We already had the stuff here. And now that somebody else is bringing him something, I mean, what's the deal? They're still missing it. They didn't even flinch at what he had said. It went right over their head. He's trying to communicate a message. He had defied everything that they thought and believed in. He's talking to a woman. He's going to a country, a place that's not even like us. Spends too much time talking about her and to her. And now he offers her something. And he's not even paying attention that we're ready to eat. He has to be hungry. They're focused on the meal that they were missing, the mission that he had had for them to see an opportunity that was there. This is our purpose. How often do we miss the harvest because we're so consumed with the meal that we're enjoying here in the church? We're looking forward to the next church function. It's okay. The meal is good. I like Sunday meals. This is our Sunday meal. I like the meals that we have in our, in our life groups, in our home groups, and we get together and enjoy. We get into the Word, and we hear worship, and we enjoy all of that. But the meal cannot take the place of the mission. It becomes sometimes a distraction. We're so distracted with our next spiritual meal, our next spiritual moment, the next wonderful word of knowledge, the next spiritual gift so that we can flex our spiritual muscles and look good in front of church people. We're missing the mission. The meal is good. I like to eat. Disciples like to eat. But they had come so focused on their spiritual practice that they were missing what they needed to be doing. Is that happening to us? Do we get so consumed with practicing our spiritual things that we miss what God wants us to do? If that's the case, then what we're doing in here is non, non-effective if we don't take it out there and let it begin to act. Your moments with God are always meant to become fuel for the journey. Fuel and energy so that you could perform the ministry that he has for us. What's happening on the inside should be training for what should take place on the outside. We spend too much time doing our spiritual things, talking about our spiritual activities. We spend more time discussing and arguing over uh, dress, attire, what the church should look like, what it should sound like, what it should be, all of this kind of stuff, rather than thinking about what we should be doing on the outside. 
Confucius said, he who rows the boat has no time to rock the boat. Let that one sink in. The meal is good, but don't get so caught up in the meal that we become satisfied with sitting here dissecting and taking apart what we don't like about the meal. And we miss the mission. It's important to be with God. You've got to be with God to get the meal. I love it. I want you to be here. I want you to focus on getting this meal. But why do we keep coming back to get something here and to enjoy this meal? Often it's like the same reason we go back to the refrigerator. We don't go back to the fridge because we are hungry. We've burned all of our energy up and now we need to go get another meal. We go back to the refrigerator because we're looking for something sweet. Feel a witness. (laughs) I'm into this chocolate cake now. Some of y'all bear witness to that too, don't you? See, I, I, like, I like chocolate. I, I'm, I used to be addicted to chocolate. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but then, isn't that the way we treat ourselves sometimes in the church and in our spiritual walks? We're so caught up with that kind of stuff, we, we forgot that this meal is all about us getting filled up to full capacity so that it gives us strength and we could go out with strength and mighty in the name of Jesus into our harvest field but we're so caught up in that we're worried more about what we eat physically than we are spiritually and what we do with it i love labels on food you know tell you what kind of calories are in there what kind of vitamins what kind of fat trans fat anybody know what trans fat is that's just fat that moves (laughs) just kidding y'all don't know what it is either You see, the meal is good. I think they should have flavor grams listed on there. If it tastes good, I want to know about it. I want to read on there and say how many flavor grams are in here. You know? Just saying. We we all like to eat. So I'm not saying that the meal with God is bad. We need it. We enjoy it. We have to have it. But it should become our spiritual food to make us energized to accomplish this work. Not just to sit back and enjoy it like we got another Happy Meal. I came to church today, I got me a happy meal. Let me show you my little gift I got. You know, it felt so good to be there today. Hallelujah. It's either a happy meal or a Ryan's meal or a health food meal. Happy meal just makes you feel good, you know. We get one. Can't wait to go. Ryan's, you get this picture. We waddle in like a bunch of cows. We stack up our plates high, chew on something spiritual like some good music or a sermon, push back from the table, burp a amen, rub our bellies with a hallelujah, go home and lay before the Lord and take a nap. <laughs> Doesn't that sound good? <laughs> oh, man. It isn't the way we treat ourselves. We get so... so Involved in our meal and what we're doing spiritually and all these spiritual activities that we miss the mission. We miss what's really there. We miss those that are hungry and need what we have and what we can give them. See, it's easier to sit in our church and enjoy. But I want you to look at what you receive today is, am I here? Am I here to pig out or bulk up so I can give the world what's inside of me. So number three, you can't have the harvest 
without hardship. In other words, it's work. You can't have the harvest without hardship. There's going to be some work involved in it. Jesus closes this whole story here in this whole passage with a refocus of their attention. He says this in verse 37. One sows, another reaps. That is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. What is our job then? Our job is to finish the work. Finish the work. The work is already done by Jesus. He came and gave his life. He was crucified for us, for all of the world. We can't just sit in and enjoy the meal. We've got to take it out and give to others because he's done the work. The harvest is there in front of us. It may not be easy. We have to keep working at it. I wish I could say that a lot of guys got down and accepted Jesus that day in the bike shop at the funeral, but nobody did. But I gave the word to the harvest. God said he will bring the increase. It takes effort. It takes work, but we have to keep working at it. We have to keep giving of ourselves, giving of ourselves to the harvest that's there. Don't quit. In the book of Ecclesiastes, he talks about seasons. There's a season for everything. There's a season to be born, a season to die, a season to kill, a season to heal, a season to reap, a season to plant, a season to weep, and a season to laugh, but never a season to quit. There is no time to quit. There's no time to stop. The harvest is here. It's ready. And here's what he says. The harvest is ripe. I was too caught up sometimes in trying to change people and trying to save them. He never asked me to save anybody. Oh, let's get this today. The harvest is there, and he says it's ripe. That means it's ready. We're too consumed with trying to change a person because they make us feel uncomfortable when we're around them. They don't live like I do. I mean, have you, have you seen these people, Jesus? Because we're trying to change how they act, what they do, where they go. Just tell them about Jesus. You can't change where they are. You can't change what they look like, who they associate with, where they go. Just tell them about Jesus. Yeah, they got a lot of problems. I don't want to know all the problems. That sounds bad, doesn't it? I can't deal with it. I can't fix it. I don't even know how to, how to counsel people sometimes. Counseling is good. But I'll tell you straight up, I'm not good at it. They start telling me how everything is wrong. I, boy, you're right, that is bad. <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you, but let's pray. <laughs> Jesus can somehow help you. I mean, let me tell you, he got me out of a mess. He got me out of a mess. I was drinking, man. I was using drugs. I, I was all messed up. But hey, check this out. I'm not all fixed, but I'm a whole lot better than I was. You know what? He can do the same thing for you. And now I don't have to try to figure out when they fell off their tricycle and how that hurt them or what they went through in their early life. 
I just tell them about Jesus because the harvest is there and he says it's ripe. Don't try to figure it out. It's ripe. You see, there's people out there that are ripe for the picking, as they say. They're looking for somebody that has an answer. There's somebody that cares. Somebody that says, yes, somebody does love you. That's our harvest. It's right there. You can't reap what you don't recognize. You can't focus on the meal or you're going to miss the mission. And you can't have the harvest without hardship. It's ripe. He didn't ask you to change them. Thank God he didn't ask me to save them. He does the saving. He said, I'll make you fishers of men. Don't worry about cleaning them. Just catch them. So how about you? Where's your harvest? What is your harvest? You've been seeing it as a problem, but I want you to know there's, it's not a problem. It's part of your harvest. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. 